to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stock. And today my guest is Sky Larson. How you doing, Sky? Doing great. Yeah. Good. Sky and I are in the Board Game Designers Guild of Utah together. So I don't think we've met in person. No, I don't think so. I think all digital interactions so far. So yeah, yeah, a couple meetings and yeah, I haven't attended any meetings since the pandemic hit. So. Oh, I meant online meetings. The the yeah, business yeah, yeah. meetings. Yeah, yeah. I was just following up, but oh but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, I I think you've been starting to go back a little bit, but yeah, I just yeah. I haven't been on to any guild meetings for a while. So come to the Thursday meet. I'm running the Thursday meeting this Thursday. Yeah, I mean, now that I'm double vaxxed, I'm thinking about stuff like that. But yeah, I just oh yeah, haven't haven't had time. But I think it probably could be time to start coming back to some of those. So it makes sense. Everybody at the everybody at that meeting and at Demolition Games has been wearing masks, and I'm pretty sure everybody's vaxxed or it, I'm double vaxxed. I think a couple are double vaxxed. So cool. It's been awesome. nice. Anyway, yeah, I'll come check. We're it not out. <laughs> we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you are a game designer and you do that full time, right? Yeah. So I am working full time in terms of hours, um, and in terms of what I'm doing with my life, uh, not as like a full time salaried employee necessarily, but working full time freelance, uh, in, in board games, which, you know, not a lot of people get to do. And and I feel really lucky about that, but it's really fun. Yeah. Do you have another job to supplement or just this fully? No, no, this is this is all I do. Um, my wife does work um, and has, you know, a salary job with benefits, which is that's kind of the hardest part of freelance. So, you know, I definitely that's like a privilege not everyone has. And, you know, I don't think we could just do only my income yet. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the case for a lot of people throughout the US right now. Not to. Oh, yeah. Not to diverge too much, but yeah, like, you know, I think single income is, is kind of tricky. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, do this full time, did writing for a little bit to supplement, but I was actually making more money doing board game stuff and kind of just kept focused on that more. So, oh, that's awesome. I saw the cat in the background there. got excited. (laughs) I'm a cat person. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. We got my cat cinder is lurking around. (laughs) <laughs> nice. I'm surprised. I have to shut my door because they'll come up and they'll just like try and walk around and rub against the microphone. And she's got her office chair right there. So she'll oh, come nice. Sit. She'll come sit there sometimes with me, but right now <laughs> she's on the prowl. That is awesome. Sorry, that was a distraction. <laughs> but uh, exciting. Right. People like Cat- to hear that. Cats are great. Yeah, cats are great. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I totally get that. I it's the same situation here, sort of where I have I'm self employed and I make okay money, but my wife the main big thing is that she has benefits and mm-hmm. like being self employed, being freelance, you you can't beat benefits. No, <laughs> so, it's, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, how did you get into board games? Like just the hobby of not designing yet. You know, um, so I think I was always technically into board games. Um, just it's, you know, when you have people around you in your life who are also into them. Um, but I always liked them. I liked the simple kind of mass market style games. Um, Stratego was an early kind of favorite of mine in, in the mass market category. And probably one of the first things I was introduced to was, um, was actually kind of a very niche hobby game thing and also kind of related to game design because um, my uncle, um, he his older brother had made their own made his own board game with a friend like and distributed it to stores and stuff like you know in the 90s or whatever. So it was oh, very wow. like it was like a very niche kind of game. It's the game's called Talon Guard. It's kind of like D and D without a dungeon master trying to kind of imitate that feel. It's honestly pretty fun, but um, very hard to get your hands on nowadays. But uh, that's awesome, though. But yeah, like, and that was just a very big, you know, eye-opening thing into what games could be because I mean, it was, you know, had the weird, not quite good enough rulebook to cover all the weird <laughs> edge cases, but it just had so many pieces and so much you could kind of imagine doing with it you know so much content and random stuff going on like i was like wow like games are cool yeah so um but again you know i was like i i would like play it by myself uh which it's not really a game you can play by yourself you know i tried my best and you know just i was always into stuff i played magic the gathering a bit in high school that was one of the first quote unquote you know kind of deeper games that i could actually play with other people um was definitely interested in dungeons and dragons but didn't have a lot of people i could play it with and then um yeah i mean it was just i was always chomping at the bit i guess to like play board games and it just as soon as other people i knew in my life started you know being interested in board games it was like okay so we got Sailor's Catan, then we you know kept kept going on ticket to ride and Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually, you know, it a big thing was, you know, getting married and, and my wife being interested in board games. And that really allowed me at least one person who was also into board games. And uh, now we kind of exclusively look for other people who like board games so that I can feed that addiction. Oh, nice. <laughs> that is awesome. And that's great. I, that's one of whenever I find out people are married. I knew you were married, but it's like it's interesting to see who has a gaming spouse and who doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily hinder your love of them by any means you know plenty of people play it without their wives but or significant others and and yeah 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 it's always and, nice when you can yeah i don't even know if it came up like when we were starting to date or anything like that it just you know it was it just kind of came more after being married and realizing she was interested in games and yeah, willing to pursue that with me. Like I definitely kind of pulled her into it, but 
you know, she said she was actually similar. Like she was the younger sibling wanting to play Monopoly with everyone and no one, <laughs> no one wanting to, to <laughs> indulge her. So yeah, yeah. we both uh, found our gaming partner, which is great. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> what is your favorite? I, I'm going to do this two part. Do you have a favorite game and then a favorite game with your wife? If, if they're different. Mm, they're probably not different at this point, just because we're so um, we're so wrapped into the hobby together. But um, I mean, I love Spirit Island, and we we both love Spirit Island. Um, definitely Brain Bernie, as I know you've put out some tweets. We've talked about that, but uh, it it's uh, mind melting. So we can't play it like every single day that we want to, you know, pull out a game. But but we love it. We love the theme. We love. Uh, just the the narrative arc of it where it feels like there's no way this could possibly work out and then it just always kind of resolves itself and it's great and we love calico is just an easier game to get out that's one we really enjoy together because we're both cat people and it's very just cute charming game i actually think calico for me is more brain burning (laughs) than spirit island yeah, there's there's definitely uh, an element of that. Um, neither of us are terribly competitive. My wife's a bit more competitive, but um, so that helps a little bit. Where it's just like, you know, I'm hoping this piece gets out, but I'm not gonna like stress too much about it. But yeah, Calico can definitely be uh, pretty pretty cutthroat and intense if you're really like, yeah, if you're playing it the quote unquote right way. But I think we <laughs> tend to just kind of. You know, try and not steal tiles from each other and just kind of, you know, play our yeah. own little little puzzle game together. So, I was fascinated to learn that people play that. Like, uh, I, I we treat it as very independent. Yeah. And so if I know my wife wants a piece, and if I don't need that piece, I'm not going to take it. If I need the piece, I'll take it because yeah, yeah. You know, it's I'm still playing my game, but yeah, yeah. But I was. The other week, people brought up that, like, on their turn, sometimes they'll just take a tile because they know somebody else needs it. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even, I literally didn't even think about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> as yeah, a strategy. That's, that's just not how either my wife or I play games. And yeah, I mean, and it's definitely valid. And like, I don't, I don't get offended when people play games that way. Um, right. But yeah, we've, we maybe we're scarred. We had a really bad experience with Ticket to Ride with a with a, a former brother in law who uh, that makes it sound like it was because of this game. It was not, but um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, a brother in law who uh, was playing it uh, Ticket to Ride the you know very cutthroat way, like stealing routes, like so that people whole route was ruined people were just getting really incensed and angry over the game and, and no one felt good afterwards. Yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, that's not how I play games really. <laughs> like, you know, like I like to be competitive. I like to try and win, but I don't like to focus so much on disrupting other players, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I feel you. That, I think that sums up how I play as well. Like <laughs> I don't pull punches for the most part. Yeah. I'll go for the win, but yeah. Every once in a while, if if it's the first time we're playing a game, my wife is a lot more competitive than me. Mm-hmm. But I'm a lot more strategic than her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes I'll pull punches there just so that she can like feel good about the game the first time she plays it. 
and it's, catch on? It's something to consider. Um, this makes all my family games sound terrible, but um, I had a game of Bang, uh, which you know I should have mentioned, actually, because that was one of the first games I really, really loved playing um, like with other people. Anyways, had a cousin play uh, Bang with, you know, big group. We had all the cousins together. So like the max, which I think is like seven players or whatever. And he, through his lucky card combinations or whatever, like just literally eliminated my wife, but from the game before she ever took a turn. Oh, no. (laughs) And I was like, come on. Like, this is the first time she's ever played and she's never going to play again. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as as much as I am someone who likes to win and, and believe in that, like you also want people to keep playing games with you. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Something That's to keep important. in mind. If yeah, I totally agree. You gotta, you gotta have the whole point is to have fun. I think that's the main. I guess for me, a lot of people, yeah. it's to win, <laughs> to be the best. But yeah, but I think it's more about fun. Uh, well, what from there? From sure. what got you into board games? What got you into board game design? In some ways, it's a little hard to pinpoint because I think it's always been something kind of there. Um, I really liked making up like weird imaginary games as a kid. And um, and like I said, one of my first games that, that I ever got was this kind of inscrutable, weird RPG game that was, you know, designed uh, and like that kind of helped me see like, oh, people like make games, you know, like it's not some faceless corporation that prints out, you know, Monopoly games or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's people that make these games, you know, and um, I would say I got really interested in it in like high school um, when um, I was playing Magic the Gathering as well as um, one of my friends had uh Oh gosh, Star Wars Epic Duels, oh. uh, which is kind of it's a Rob Davio game that it is Hasbro, but you know it was had these kind of like you're playing as Star Wars characters and you have these customized decks for each character. Um, it's actually kind of similar to the new game Unmatched that's kind of popular right now. Um, it's kind of like a design descendant or progenitor, or whatever the right term is. But anyways, uh, so those two games, you know, Magic and, and Star Wars Epic Duels, like, I guess because of, like, the cards themselves and, like, how customized they were, like, that was when I was really like, what? Who who does, like, someone has to, like, come up with what these cards are, you know? Like, it's not even just a game, you know, that you set the rules, like, chess and then set the game free. Like, it's got these, like, individual pieces of content, you know, and, like, who who comes up with that? Whose job is that? Because that's the job I want. <laughs> um, so, yeah, from a very early age, I'd say, um, like in high school, I, I was considering that. Um, I sent an email to uh, Mark Rosewater, who is now kind of the lead game designer of Magic the Gathering, and was like, hey, what? I'm going to college soon. What should I study? And uh, to Mark Rosewater's credit, he did answer. I mean, it was, it was very quick. Uh, I'm sure he gets a lot of emails, but yeah. you know, he said, 
he said, Hey, that's great. Um, honestly, you can't, there's not really a class I would suggest taking. Um, I think nowadays, maybe his answer would be a little different. There are, there's a little more stuff about game design nowadays, but, um, you know, back then early two thousands, not, not a lot of stuff going around. Um, so he said, yeah, just study whatever. So, <laughs> so that's, that's what I did. Uh, I studied, uh, you know, writing stuff, but I was, you know, it, it, I would say from high school on, it was something I was very intrigued by, even if I wasn't sure that's what I was going to end up doing. That is really fascinating. I'm sure writing is a good one because rule books are obviously a huge thing and and important in board games. Yeah, yeah. Um, from talking with people, um, I mean, you know that I also do uh, help with a podcast where we talk to a lot of designers and and you know I've learned that more than one designer yeah has come from kind of like a creative writing or or ad writing background. I think it I think it definitely lends itself well. Like I, I was looking to get into maybe video game design or board game design um, with my writing degree. Um, so I, I'd say that was my intention. I wasn't sure if it would work out because who knows if it will work out. But, uh, but I don't think I was, I wasn't ever planning on being like a novelist or something like that. I was, I was hoping, you know, I'd find maybe something in games or, or something else. So. What was your first break, your first big break in the industry? I'd say, so I was working on a video game for a long time, and that didn't work out. Working along with a programmer friend, um, and we just, we knew it was too big of a project, but it was the project we wanted to work on, so it was a big tactics RPG, you know, like a Final Fantasy style game. Um, nice. I like was, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fun. But it was just too big. Uh, like, the art alone was just, like, I was learning how to do pixel art just so I could, like, try and make it happen. But, like, we just were in over our heads. But, um, so, working on that, though, like, I got, um, you know, I was trying to dive into the industry as much as I could. Because uh, my wife had given me the go-ahead to uh, quit my copywriting job and just really try and work on the, the video game. And so I was trying to, you know, connect as much as I could and, and make use of that time. And, and so that's when I, uh, you know, just with a lot of free time was able to, uh, help out with the game design Roundtable podcast, um, which is one of the older game design podcasts out there. And that was kind of a first break. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that directly led, it, we'll get to it. It eventually led to a job, but but it was more um, just some cred, I guess, like for talking to, to talking to other people. And, and uh, I'd say my first real break was actually not that long ago, maybe three years ago with um, I had started getting back into designing board games because stuff had stalled with the video game. And I just wanted to, I'm like, I'm literally only working on pixel art nowadays and I want to design rules again you know, design mechanics. So uh, I got back into board games. I was going to the guild stuff. And then um, Tim Fowers of Fowers Games um, had uh, reached out to, um, he's, he's a part of uh, our guild, the Board Game Designers Guild of Utah, just a, not, not a super 
active, like going to meetings and stuff, but, but likes to stay, you know, involved with designers here. So he invited people over to his house and I went over to his house, introduced myself. And I think the fact that I worked on video games was actually kind of something that intrigued him because he does both video games and board games. And so I think that was kind of a little thing that he's like, Oh, it's like, that's cool that you, you work on both. And he, I, he said like, if you ever want to come here, like, and work on, you know, your projects here, um, like feel free. And he was, he was in Centerville. I was in Provo, which, uh, for the non Utah (laughs) listeners, uh, it's not super close, you know, it's at least an hour drive, but, uh, I was like, sure. You know, and I, I just took him up on it um, yeah, with whether he intended it to be a uh, genuine or not. But but if, if you know Tim, he's he's very chill and, and does like having people around. So I don't I don't know if he expected me to follow up on it, but he was definitely more than than happy to to have me follow up on it and just so hang out. What did you do? So I would just work individually on my project, like in his little studio um he at that time he had a separate house um that he was just using for people to come kind of gather and and play or work on games there um because he has some people he collaborates with um jeff kraus who's kind of a programmer that works on a lot of his games and then jeff beck um have you had jeff beck on the show i'm not sure but yeah uproarious uh, games yeah uproarious games he was on for the protocon one gotcha uh, and but I'll have him back on. Yeah. So yeah, and Jeff Beck does a lot of stuff with him. Like they they have their own publishing studios now, but they still collaborate a lot. And so yeah. So I was just working there and you know, they I was trying to keep my head down and not be the, you know, hey, play my game type of guy. But uh <laughs> but of course, you know, they'd show interest and be like, oh, okay. And and then he, you know, Tim would go out of his way to be like, Hey, I'm thinking about this with like, they're working on Burgo bros two at the time or, or whatever. And what do you think? You know, basically Tim being a good guy and, you know, me being there and, uh, eventually Tim, uh, uh, said like, Hey, we need some help with Burgo bros two. Would you be interested in just, you know, doing some work with us? And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would like That's that. That's a definite yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that kind of blossomed into kind of doing quite a bit of work. Um, I did a lot of work on Burgle Bros. 2. Um, you know, I won't be on the, I'm not on the box, but uh, uh, I was in the credits. And, and I do feel like, you know, I did a lot to kind of get that game, you know, out to Kickstarter backers and to the general public. So, yeah worked out well and like Tim, you know, and I are continuing to work together and it's been great. He moved over to the UK, right? He did briefly. Uh, he is coming back soon. Um, I think he was hoping maybe something works out with visas and all that to, to stay a little longer because he, he really enjoyed his time there, but, uh, but yeah, he'll be coming back to the States soon and, Oh, okay. Um, I've kept working for him during that time. Um, we're kind of got an interesting relationship now. Like I'm still definitely helping with little projects, but a lot of what we're working on is actually, um, a game I co-designed with him, um, paperback adventures. So, you know, I'm working for him, but also working for myself in that sense. Um, 
yeah, that's that's kind of one of my main projects right now. Yeah, which I know a lot of people are very excited for paperback adventures. I am really, really excited about it. I actually haven't played any of the paperback or hardback games, uh, but this one <laughs> got me really excited. Yeah, yeah. I actually had played paperback once uh, before I met Tim, and I, I, I don't think I connected those dots immediately, but... Oh, but uh, like like when I first met him, you know, I was like, OK, then when I saw some of the games he designed, I was like, oh, yeah, I've played that one. Yeah, that's cool. um, but yeah, paperback, hardback are great. You know, the the word game meets deck building very, you know, Dominion, but but with Scrabble letters kind of thing. Uh, but paperback adventures, we definitely kind of went a weirder route. It's it's honestly kind of a weird game in some ways, but I love it so much, and, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. I hope they do. I think it's very clever, and I know <laughs> he called it the Slay the Spire yeah. I forget, Project or something. That was like the code name for a while, right? Uh, it was, uh, oh gosh, Splay the Spire. Because, oh, nice! <laughs> because one of the main mechanics is uh, if you're familiar with innovation, it's kind of this and, and others. In fact, a lot of cl- some classic games use that kind of splaying mechanic. But yeah, just splaying your cards out to one side or the other was kind of... It's one of the key mechanical hooks of the game. So yeah, we were we were going with Codename Splay the Spire for a while. But um, the, it, it's a love letter to Slay the Spire in a lot of ways. Um, but I think there's no way it, you could even make not just a word game... Uh, slay the spire but even just a, a tabletop slay the spire like you have to make a lot of different design choices because it just you can't make the exact same style of game so yeah well they so are I making think, a slay the spire did you know that they are yeah in fact they <laughs> as we were kind of preparing for our kickstarter we got the news that that they were planning to go to kickstarter and we're like are you kidding me come on <laughs> but we were confident like we're gonna make a very different style game you know we have the word game aspect yeah. they're probably gonna be like a big game and we're gonna be you know a little a little more focused they actually haven't released yet and i think they're not they're not gonna start their kickstarter until next spring or some, something like that so yeah i haven't heard any news on it for a long time they announced yeah. it and then kind of went silent yeah, the latest I've heard is sometime next year. So, you know, I'm I'm not surprised that, you know, that's kind of how things go. They're probably excited about a, a direction and then realize they, they might have to mix things up a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So hopefully it means we're getting an awesome Slay the Spire game because I'll, I'll definitely be interested in that one as well. So. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, though, with Paperback Adventures... Uh, well, mm-hmm. for people who don't know, paperback event. Do you want to run down real quick? Other sure. than we know the mechanic, but what's the the rest? Yeah, so paperback adventures is. I mean, not that it's a huge theme heavy game, but the basic theme is like, you know, you're an author. Your ideas are getting all jumbled together, so it's kind of playing with the idea of all these tropes clashing against each other. So you know, like fantasy and sci-fi, you know. What happens when a thief gets a laser sword and then has to fight like a T-Rex? You know, that's the kind of like vibe we wanted to go for was kind of this ridiculous um, kind of encounters and and how that can kind of be fun. And um, so in the game, you are 
using cards from from your deck and it's a deck building game so you're you're constantly kind of improving your deck and adding new cards to it and those cards are letters and so you're building um a word to to fight the enemy with to to battle and the the key twist is you each card has an ability but you only get to do the ability that's on like the top card of of your word so either the first letter or the last letter and that's where the splaying comes in because maybe i'll splay you know if i have the word start or starts a yeah that works start um you know if i want that s you know then i'll splay my cards out to the right um and you know that's one thing but maybe i want my t on top so i'll splay my cards out to the left and then i get to do the t card ability so yeah you're just kind of attacking and, and trying to block and, you know, just trying to, to fight this enemy in front of you. And then it's, it's got a kind of campaign, light campaign style gameplay where you're, yeah, just facing one enemy after another. Um, at this point in, in development, you know, you're facing six enemies in a row. And if you beat that last enemy, you know, you're the, you beat the whole game. So, Yeah. And there's, yeah, I know that a co-op, was a co-op mode in works at the beginning or did you decide on that during the um, campaign? I mean, it was always in our minds for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, we, we did go with like a solo focus for the game. So that's one thing I like to like be clear about is a lot of games, you know, it's a solo game second, but this is like very much a solo game first. That being said, like we did come up with some some co-op modes um, in development and we we released those during the during the campaign the Kickstarter campaign and I think they're fun but honestly like I have a lot of fun just playing it like the solo rules just with someone by my side because you know it helps to have someone else who's like oh you know what if, what if you did that word instead I'm like oh yeah Didn't see that yeah. yeah so just it's its nature as a as a word game, I think, actually just makes it work pretty well with with other players because it helps to have other people covering you and and uh, helping you make decisions. So going before that, I guess, how did this? I think this will be interesting. Going from you know Burgle Brothers to doing some work on that. Yeah. Did you have the idea for Paperback Adventures and go to Tim and propose it, or or how did that project kind of come uh, come to be? especially from like a freelance standpoint where you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And um, I mean, the route to any game getting made, I think is a little unique. Um, You know, you can't exactly copy how other people have done it, but the way it worked with paperback adventures was um, yeah, I was doing the freelance work with Tim and, and I knew he had really liked, you know, what I had done with, with some of the decisions in Virgo bros two and all that. Um, and so, like I said, he would just frequently, when I was working there, he would frequently um, just ask me questions and, you know, or try out like a simple, you know, the really early prototypes, the ones you you wouldn't bring maybe to, to the guild on a game night or whatever, the, the kind of like, eh, let's just try this out and see if these <laughs> rules are kind of working out. One of the things they have been working on was um, a digital... Uh, because, like I said, he has a uh, Jeff Krause, who's a programmer there. Um, they were working on a digital paperback. Well, it was like the paperback adventures, like this the Slay the Spire style. 
paperback game. But uh, it wasn't working out. Um, it was just a little clunky. The word game aspect wasn't coming together. And so, you know, I play tested it and I'd said, you know, it's fun. I would play it. I'm I'm weird though, so you know, like I really like I really like Slay the Spire. I really like word games, so like I'm willing to get over some weirdness just because it's something I like so much. Uh, so you know, they had kind of abandoned that project, but it was still kind of you know turning gears in my head. Something I was thinking about. Yeah, I remember I was actually on a run, just kind of thinking about you know design stuff and this idea of. Um, at that time, I was thinking, you know, kind of this sword and sorcery angle where it's like one hand is a sword, one hand is magic, you know, and, and that's kind of where I thought of this idea of splaying left or splaying right, ah. um, which kind of really was kind of the key mechanic that, that brought it together because cause then the word mattered, you know. Um, it wasn't just trying to spell the biggest word I could because that put out, you know, lots of abilities. It was, it kind of moved into this, like, you're only getting one ability plus a bunch of, like, hits or blocks or whatever, but you need to, the word still matters, and it's not even necessarily the biggest word. It's, you know, which word gets the letter I want up on top, you know, either as the first letter or the last letter. And that that was kind of what married the, the deck or the 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 Slay the Spire, like, um, card play with, um, with a word game. And that's really what, what made it interesting. So I made a little rudimentary prototype and, and went to Tim with it and was like, Hey, do you want to try it? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's try it out. Tim, Tim's very chill with that. He'll, he'll, he'd want to try anything, but, you know, of course in the back of my mind, I was hoping like something happened, but you know, I was thinking, you know, let's just play it. And he was like, afterwards, he's like, yeah. It's like, so do you want to like make this game? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Like like you kind of have to know Tim. He's just got this way of like being very uh, casual about things, I guess. I don't know. I can't think of a good way to put it, but he's he's just very open and like can kind of be a bit disarming in that way where you're like, you know, I I, I went home that day, drove back home uh, to Provo and was like, hmm, like, did he was, did I pitch a game? Like, are, am I publishing a game? Like I still wasn't quite sure because he was just, you know, so chill about it, but you know, not, not instantly getting down to, to, you know, brass tax business or whatever. So, yeah, but it turns out we were making a game together and, <laughs> and yeah. So that was, that was awesome. I mean, I don't want to get probably too much into details, but if people are wondering like with like, how does that work as freelance? Like, Essentially, I'm kind of working, um, it's, I'm still getting kind of like an advance, essentially, like, it's a very generous, like, honestly, I don't think a lot of publishers would would go for it. But just because of our unique situation, he, you know, I wanted to keep getting paid, I wanted to keep working for Tim, but I did want kind of that investment of, of of a revenue share. So, so essentially, it's kind of working out like an advance. So if, Paperback Adventures does great. I, I will eventually out earn, you know, what I the hours I put into it. But um, <laughs> but if not, I still made money, which you know that's why it's a very generous contract. Um, it puts a lot less risk on me. Um, but that's just how it worked out. If there's anything that you know is is not sure. uh, all right to talk about, just say and we'll cut yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 
but I think a lot of people would be curious about money, like yeah, how yeah. that works. And I know that, you know, when you pitch a game, sometimes if the publisher is interested, they'll give you an advance or they'll, yeah. you know, pay you a little bit and then you get royalties or sometimes there's a deal on like, if we sell this many copies, then you get this bonus or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to dive? I, I honestly have only this much <laughs> knowledge, a minimal amount of knowledge about it. So something fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to spread what, what knowledge I've garnered. Um, I will say um, for just some general advice, I'd look, um, there's a site called Cardboard Edison um, and they've done some, I don't know what you'd call them, but like PDF brochures that kind of they've surveyed people and uh, designers in the industry and give some advice on, you know, what contracts are looking at, uh, looking like and things like that. And feel free, like anyone listening, you know, feel free to hit, hit me up on Twitter or, or whatever. And I'm happy to, to answer questions. Um, but basically, yeah, like the, the most typical route, um, for freelance designers. So you have designers who work for a company and obviously that's more, you know, like a designer who works at Asmodee or fantasy flight, you know, usually bigger, bigger companies. Um, you know, they'll, they obviously are kind of working like a salary job and that's, that's a little easier to understand. Um, but a lot of designers in the industry are actually just freelance, you know, here's my idea, pitching it to publishers and, and, um, you know, getting their games out that way. And those contracts, yeah, tend to be, um, revenue share. Um, the percentage is usually pretty small, um, because, you know, the publisher is generally taking most of the risk there in, in getting the game printed and you might get an advance, um, and that's usually a lump amount, though. And that's where my contract is kind of especially unique because I'm kind of getting paid still hourly as a freelance worker. So, you know, essentially the way we worked it out was that I am, you know, I won't start making revenue share until I out earn the hours I put into the project. Um, oh, that's smart. So it's kind of like a variable advance, you know, um, so, and like I said, that's a, that's a pretty unique contract I'd say. Um, but yeah, like, um, you know, ideally I, I did that mostly because I, I don't know if I'll actually out earn it, but I just kind of wanted that investment of the game being mine, you know, something that, that will fill, you know, I wanted to feel like it's, it's my project and like, I want to put everything I can into it to, to make it succeed, you know? And, and that's how I, you know, treated Burgle Bros too, even though that was pure hourly work, but I just, I don't know, just wanted that stamp on it that made it feel like it's me. Yeah. Um, And you know, like I definitely put more work into it than most designers would. And that's, that's not a knock on designers, but typically the, the game designer, in, in like a freelance situation pitches the game and they'll probably like, they might like work on some things like through the development process, but usually it's pretty hands off at that point. Like they've given away the idea and it's now the publisher's job to make it a reality. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm going to be, you know, in the trenches with development, you know, I'm working on prototypes, making the prototypes. I'm, 
and I'll be making, you know, final files and things like that, that, that a designer normally wouldn't do. So it's kind of just a unique kind of thing that happened because I pitched a game to Tim and, and he was interested. So. Well, in that Rob Kramer episode, a couple episodes ago, yeah. he talked about how every convention Tim would talk to him about like, have you thought about self-publishing? Have you thought about, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I, so I think that it's probably a thing Tim is passionate about and while I'm sure he loves working with you, he also probably wants to set you up to self-publish as well. Yeah, like he's he's definitely brings it up a lot. And but you know his his kind of money quote on that is uh, find your win condition, um, which is like I think a lot of people just get excited about making games, and that's great. And so you know the the find your win condition is basically you know, what, what do you want to get out of making games? Cause it's easy to just see what other people are doing and like, well, I've got to do that, you know, but, but do you want to like make a living off of it? Then you need to make very specific choices. You know, do you want to make side income? Like, you know, those are different choices. Um, and so, you know, yeah, like, if you want to make like a lot of money and make a living off of it, you kind of do have to kind of almost be at the publishing angle. Um, you know, and, and we've had a lot of discussions together and, um, Tim and I, and, you know, he's like, well, it's like, if you want to go the self publishing route and start your own company, you can do that. Um, but he doesn't want me to fill pigeonholed into being, you know, working for him. Yeah, but I, I've told him for now, like I'm, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I like as long as the projects are interesting. Like it's, you know, I get that sense of ownership still, and and it's still create like, you know, testing me creatively, and and um, and just is a little more uh, steady income, which which you know is nice for for where I'm at in my career. So for Burgle Brothers Two, you did some hourly work. Yes. So how did that kind of work? Yeah. So that was, that was pretty standard, I guess, like freelance stuff. Like I just paid per the hour and I just record my hours and, and give that to him. Um, and he was, you know, again, kind of a Tim thing. He was, you know, he's, he's very generous. So like I was under the impression I was going to do like, um, maybe like very, not very creative stuff, you know, like not game design stuff, more like, you know, help make prototypes. Um, cause anyone who's design games knows like making prototypes is, uh, it's something on its, on its own. <laughs> it's a very yeah. big job. <laughs> um, you know, making print and play files for other people. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be doing more stuff like that. And, and I did do stuff like that, but you know, very early on, even he was like, well, you know, we need some more gear cards. Like, what do you think, you know, and got me involved in some of those more creative, um, design style parts of the game. So, you know, I kind of worked on almost every aspect of the game, um, other than initial design. Like I, I helped design content, um, you know, finales, Virgo Bros. 2 has like these unique finales for every game that kind of switch the rules up at the last second. You know, you break open the safe um, from your heist and what's what happens next? You know, that was um, kind of a big content aspect that um, 
you know, needed to be filled, filled in after the Kickstarter campaign. Cause you know, they had, they had a couple really cool ones, you know, like, Oh, there's a car in the safe and you have to bust out, you know, you have to drive around the casino and, and bust through a window. You know, there's a couple that really captured the idea of, of what they wanted to do, but, but they just needed more finales to, to work with. So I did a lot of the finale design uh, collaboratively, like came, coming up with ideas and bouncing back and forth. Um, I did a lot of the design on on gear as well, um, the unique gear that each character has. Um, but I also did, again, like print and play, prototype files, preparing that, um, running play tests, doing my own play tests and kind of QA work, essentially, like reporting my, not not just like, I played it, it was fun, but kind of being a little more formula, you know, professional about it, I guess, like like a QA tester in video games would be and also did um, a lot of the final file prep, which again, that's that's uh, the creative writing. Um, one nice thing about about that that is translated to games, um, studying that at the university was learning how to use Adobe InDesign. So I worked on a student journal, uh, Warp and Weave. It's a fantasy sci-fi student journal at UVU. So I was the editor-in-chief, so I had to really kind of learn how to use Adobe InDesign to like create you know, a printable journal. And uh, that's come in really handy with um, with uh, game design because a lot of files, you know, are made in either Photoshop or, or Illustrator or InDesign, so. That's cool. So, you know, I did a lot of the final file prep for Burgo Bros 2, which is not fun work. It's very uh, stressful and, you know, having to, like, go back and forth with China and the manufacturers and why isn't this printing right and... and you know, making sure everything is aligned just right so that you can kind of have a good, a good final product. Wow. That is wild. And yeah, that makes sense why you would get paid hourly for that type of work. Yeah. So it was very much like just, uh, what needs to be done, you know, and I, and I would just kind of hop on and, and, uh, it, it worked out well. Yeah. What, uh, what plans do you have now? What do you, is there anything you can tell us you're working on? So for a while, I was technically like an open freelancer, but without very many clients. Um, I did do a little work with um, Jeff Beck and Jeff Krause on their game Intrepid, which I know you've played. Yeah, I had. Um, So I did some. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Um, So I did some playtesting coordination with that, like kind of coordinating big playtests and recording the the play tests for for jeff oh cool and then i've done you've also had uh john wood on the game yeah on the podcast sorry <laughs> um and i've done some rule book work with him um rule book editing is something i feel very comfortable with um you know i i did copywriting and, and editing um as a career for a while so so anyway, so I was technically had some small clients, but, you know, bulk of my work was definitely with Tim Fowers, um, Fowers Games. But recently um, I have another client that I kind of have really steady time with. Um, uh, it is uh, Dirk uh, Niemeyer, who uh, is on the Game Design Roundtable podcast that I help with. Um, he, he had a publishing company way back when they made... Um, Tesla versus Edison and the new science, some very kind of like science historical flavored games. Oh, okay. uh, they got bought out by genius games. 
and um, Dirk is still wanting to design for them, but lacking time to design for them. So um, he reached out to me recently um, about kind of hiring me to help him design stuff um, for Genius Games. So so that's still very new, uh, but we're working on um, a second edition for something, you know, in Dirk's old catalog of games he's worked on and been working on that. And uh, and at this point, you know, with those two clients, uh, Fowers Games and, and Dirk and Genius Games, like I'm I'm technically working full time, um, you know, hours off of those two clients alone. So, you know, for the short term, like I'm set, I probably, you know, I, I would take on, you know, a project I was really interested in. And, and of course I'd help, you know, John out with any of his games or whatever, like, you know, but, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of set, but moving forward, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I don't expect, you know, both of those clients to stay with me forever. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I would love to keep working kind of on this freelance basis. Um, but, um, hopefully maybe getting some of my own games in there as well. I was going to ask, do you, are you working on any games for yourself? <sighs> no. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> on the one hand, yes, because paperback adventures, you know, is my game. Um, and that's just all my work with Tim Powers right now is going into that. So yes, but um, I, you know, I do have some other designs kicking around in the back of my head, but I just, I've got too much, uh, too many other projects going on and, and I can't really focus on my own stuff. Um, I think that balance could exist somewhere, you know, but yeah. Part of being an adult is just not knowing. Like, you always feel like maybe if things change a little bit, like, I'll have the time suddenly to do this thing. And <laughs> I don't know. It it might never happen. But, um, you know, I'm hoping eventually that, um, yeah, things will kind of... I'll hit a rhythm where, you know, once, once a day I can kind of look at one of my own projects and, and get a little bit of work in on it. But, but yeah. for now, I'm... I'm really enjoying working on, on other projects and, and as long as I get to do some of the creative work, like it still just feels like I'm helping bring games to life. And that's, that's really what I wanted to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've been talking about the money aspect for a little bit, for a while. Yeah, I yeah. we focused on that, but that's, that's a big part of being able to do it full time. Like you need yeah. to make money at it, but really the most exciting thing is making a game and having people play your game and, and being passionate about your game, not passionate about the money, passionate about the game. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm very practical cause like, you know, I, I do want to make this work as a career and um, like, I don't want to abandon that aspect entirely, but um, for sure, like there's just, it's just seeing people play your game is, is so gratifying and, like with playtesters who've gotten really into um, paperback adventures, I'm so grateful for them. They've they've been amazing, but it's just incredible watching them pick apart like something you made and just be like like strategize. I guess that was kind of the biggest moment for me was like hearing someone like explain their strategies for like beating my game, you know. And I was like, wow, that's that's cool and extremely gratifying. That is really cool. That would be a awesome experience yeah I'm, I'm excited for you to fill it too sometime 
Yeah. <laughs> if I ever design again. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Yeah. I've gotten some play tests in lately. So it's like sparking. It's bringing that spark back. Like, okay, I need to get back into this. Yeah. And the other day I came up with a mechanic that I'm super excited about. And I'm like, oh, I've got to make a game based on this mechanic. So I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, it's just like you were saying, time, right? Like, uh, I'm doing this podcast and that takes up a lot of my time. I still have to work and I still have to, you know, like, you've got yeah. a lot going on on your plate. So, yeah. And uh, like, I'm just someone, I like to do a lot of things. Um, yeah. And so it's hard for me. Like, I know some people have that mindset of like, um, you know, do do a job and then come do like more work at home. I, I do all my work at home because I work at home, but, um, but like I'm someone who needs like that kind of that veg time, that kind of de-stress, you know, kind of work on other stuff. So yeah, I'm sure like the hours are there, but I also am someone who just has to take care of myself and, you know, kind of de-stress. So, Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm sure I would get more done if I were the other type of personality, but you know, I just have to be me. So <laughs> that's, yeah. You just got to know who you are and work with that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll find the hours eventually, but for now, yeah, just, just working on other stuff and then yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's really, really exciting. What, uh, what advice would you give somebody who wants to try and go full time or try to make a, you know, a living doing freelance? Um, you know, not to not to rep other podcasts, at least it's not my podcast, but um, <laughs> I would highly recommend there was an episode on Ludology with um, John Breger. Um, he is he's kind of like the most well-known, um, quote unquote, game developer, and he, he worked full time uh, freelance. Um, he's been he's been working full time freelance for a while um, and his his podcast was just so good about like the realities of like thinking through that decision, um, which, you know, I did not do, but um, (laughs) (laughs) me, it was born out of necessity for me. And, and like I said, the privilege of having, you know, um, a partner who was willing to let me take that leap. But um, yeah, but yeah, like that, just was very good about the realities of like what freelance work is like. So I definitely check out that podcast if you can, if you're interested. Um, my personal advice. Yeah. Is just, you just got to be available and you've just got to like all my opportunities were just being willing to work on stuff. And like, you know, it's kind of a weird dance of you have to be, you can't be so fiscally financially, you know, hustle mindset that like that you don't like help other people out with stuff, but you, you also have to like keep that in the back of your mind so that you don't get taken advantage of. And it kind of sounds weird, but I guess what I'm saying is you have to like throw yourself into stuff with the community. Um, but you know, be ready to take opportunities as they come and to, you know, eventually fight for, you know, like believe in yourself that you're, the work you put in, the labor you put in deserves like monetary compensation. So it's kind of, you know, being not so money focused that like other people are turned off initially, but like advocating for yourself, like when the time comes. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think so. Cause it's like, 
you need to value yourself and what you do and, and kind of how you would, I think, approach it, right. Is that it's, it's like, Hey, this is something I want to do full time. So like at some point I've got to make money yeah. at this. I, you have to, yeah. And you've got to, you got to look at things cause it's so easy with like design stuff to be and, and just game stuff. Like, like, I don't know. You just have to look at what you're actually making hourly, you know, like you can't, it's easy to think like, well, that seems like a fair price, just kind of nebulously in your head. But if you think about how many hours it's going to take you to do that thing, like, for example, like a play test, like now not all play tests are compensated. Um, not even, you know, the ones I ask for, but, um, and nor would I always request money for play tests. But, you know, when it is something you're treating as a job, like when I worked on Intrepid, like, like it might seem, you know, $10, that seems reasonable. You know, you don't really think about it, but it's like, well, if, if the playtest is like two hours and I did, ten, you know, it was $10, $10, like I made $5 an hour, you know, and it's, it's not like fun to think about that stuff, but you just have to like really think about how you're using your time because, you know, if you fill your time with stuff that's not making enough money, you're, you're just eventually setting yourself up to fail. So that's why that's why I encourage like throwing yourself into the community, helping people with stuff so you can feel confident enough to then like later on request like, you know, like I've done a lot of play tests and I know I have good feedback. And, you know, if you want me to do continued play testing, like, you know, being willing to, to talk about compensation or or whether it's, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever you end up working in, like rulebook editing or. De- development of rules a balance like you need to have that confidence that you can ask for that money but like i think the confidence should be earned so you need to you need to get experience but you know just be willing to to start you know asking for compensation when when it makes sense this is really interesting though because i didn't know that people got uh paid it off for play tests that's a thing yeah but like like i said it's it's a different mindset when you're doing it that way like there's play tests and and i just think there just needs to be communication i I, this is where i might get in trouble because like i this is my very narrow view of of what i've experienced to be fair you know working full-time for a few years like it's more experience than than some people but (laughs) but like it's you're you're approaching the play tests differently like there's play testing where you're just you know, I played the game. Here's my feedback on whether I thought it was fun or not. You know, in context of like, you know, fellow designers, you're usually like exchanging play tests. So that's kind of, you know, the, the compensation quote unquote is kind of the, the, I, the understanding that you eventually will get the same chance to, to have your game play tested. And, you know, a bunch of fans are willing, like, especially if you're a well-known designer, you know, like a bunch of fans are going to be willing to just play your game, just, to like test it out. And so I think it's, it's about knowing the expectations like on both ends. So I think like, it's fine if like a fan just wants to like play the game and give their thoughts on it. Um, and they shouldn't have like the designer shouldn't have the expectation that they give like, you know, well, they shouldn't have the expectation that they give any feedback. Like they might just, you know, not say anything and ghost you. 
yeah. and, and you didn't pay them, so it's fine. But um, on, but then there's also playtests that are a little bit more structured where, you know, like maybe like, you know, we want you to like play this continuously, like play it lots of times. And you're, it's kind of treating it more like a QA situation where you're like taking detailed notes and, um, you know, really kind of taking a very professional approach to it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's one of those tricky things in the industry where it's like, because there's just so much passion going around, like there is opportunities and there probably is situations where people kind of get like probably should have been compensated and weren't. And that's unfortunate. I think that's, yeah, that's why I just encourage like communication and like, like, yeah, like I wouldn't say like you should try and request every designer like, okay, are you going to pay me for this? But like, uh, for example, I think this is fine. <laughs> uh, uh, for paperback adventures, you know, we have, um, we've had a lot of great play testers, but, um, and a lot of them just did it because they love Tim's games. Um, but we had one play tester who just was, didn't ask us. Uh, or didn't didn't talk to us, but he did like this very thorough like breakdown of all you know all the stuff and is very helpful. And you know Tim talked to him was like, hey, like, do you want to do more of that and and you know get some compensation for it? Like, so you know it's like I, it's kind of that weird kind of tension where you you kind of maybe need to like put yourself out there first. And, you know, maybe if, if you prove that like your, your feedback's worthwhile, then I think a lot of designers would be willing to, to compensate and publishers, I guess, specifically, because that's, I mean, that's gold. Like if you have someone who's going to take your game seriously enough to, to really break it down, like that's really helpful feedback. So that's really, yeah, I would never, I, at this point, I wouldn't ask for compensation for my play test because my feedback's always like, yeah, that was cool. You know, like <laughs> I, yeah. I'm still like developing that eye for like, yeah. Oh, okay. What kind of feedback should I be giving and, and looking mm-hmm. for? And yeah. And that's, I mean, that's skill. something I'm, that's something I'm still figuring out as well. Cause like there's, I a hundred percent don't want to like, you know, stop playing people's games and, or I don't want to become like, Oh, well my time's worth too much, you know, type of thing. But yeah, so it's just, you know, picking and choosing, you know, I want to always be trying to help other designers out. I always want to be trying to lift up other designers um, whenever I can. But, you know, like if it's going to be like an, maybe an ongoing thing, then I'd probably have to talk about like, okay, well, if you want me to like do this regularly, like maybe maybe we need to talk about compensation. Yeah, but, no, that makes sense. But yeah, and again, this is how it's worked out for me. I don't know how it is other elsewhere but i do know playtesters are uh sometimes compensated elsewhere um a lot of times it's like getting the rule book which you know especially if you're starting out that might be you know something nice to to be in a rule book as like a a lead playtester or whatever but um you know just stick up for yourself if you feel like you know if you think like maybe i should be getting paid for this because i'm doing it so much you know maybe you should be getting paid for it like just just communicate with the publisher about it well interesting that's cool thanks for sharing that yeah no problem when you went to school and you asked mark what 
you should study, you know, he didn't really have an answer. Do you have, if somebody asked you that, do you have an answer now? I do. Um, a very, very strongly, I would say, uh, graphic does. Okay. Again, it depends on your win condition. If your win condition is, I want to make games and I want to make money making games. Like I want it to be my job. Uh, art or graphic design for sure. Um, and honestly for video games too, but especially for board games, because so much money and so much time is spent on art. Like if you, if you want to, uh, make a living with board games, the easiest way, even if you want to like design the rules is to know how to do the art as well. And that's why, you know, personally, that's why I think, you know, like Ryan Laukit has been so successful with Red Raven games, you know, I've is that how you got, say his last name? I don't know. I probably said it wrong. Oh, I always say Ryan Lockett. Yeah, I've got like a yeah. good slew of them. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got a collection there. Most likely, I said his name wrong because that is something I am infamous for. Well, but, it's a um, tricky name. I don't. I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> I have met him once. Super super nice guy. Uh, yeah. So I, I probably should know how to say his name. But. <laughs> That's okay. You're not working for him, so you don't need to know, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, um, yeah, so if you can go that route, like, it's just going to help you so much. And I think, especially, like, from graphic design, um, that just has so much to do with board game design as well. Like, a lot of the design careers kind of overlap uh-huh. because design is is inherently, you know, how do I make something for another person and make that, you know work (laughs) how how do i make that process as smooth as possible you know whether whether you're designing buildings or cities or you know board games or whatever you know websites like i think a lot of that will cross over um my uh i think one of the best design books i've read is uh i got it right here not that not that your podcast audience can see this but it's uh the design of everyday things interesting um, so that's you know that's like a product product design um but like it's just it's talking about things that i literally talk about like with you know tim and and the other people i work with every day um just how you can make a product that makes sense to people like intuitively and so i think like even just graphic design like you're just going to have plenty of knowledge and skills like that are just going to really help you um, if, if you can design well. And so that would be my number one. But, you know, you can't go wrong. Uh, like, you know, obviously, if you study finance stuff or, or business stuff, you, you could do well the business part side of things. Um, you know, that's something I have to still learn a lot about. You know, I'm going to have to level up as like a business person if if i'm gonna ever open my own publishing company yeah um and then you know like i think writing's worked out for me and and like like i think especially if you want to focus on rulebook editing like i know there are people in the industry who uh work fully in rulebooks you know make a living off of that because rulebooks are a big pain in the butt and a lot of publishing companies you know they might if they're big enough they might have their own in-house writer and editor but if not like they're definitely looking to hire people to like really edit the rule book there's there's ways into the industry and i think any route can work but 
yeah, I mean, if you're literally going into college right now and wondering what to study, I would, I would 10 times out of 10 say the best thing would be uh, graphic design followed by illustration. That makes sense. And, you know, keep, keep, keep learning, keep figuring out like what makes game design mechanics work. But, you know, I think even though there are classes for that, I just think you're better off leveling up other skills that are, that are harder to get. Um, and then just kind of, you know, learning mechanics by, you know, being wrapped up in the, the game design community, listening to podcasts, playing games, breaking them down. I just think it's, and maybe this is me, but like, it's just harder to get those skills of like illustration, graphic design. Like that's just something where I feel like I would have, it'd be easier to get at like a, a school with, with a community and support behind you with that. So is there anything else you want to cover in, related to the, to what you do? <laughs> um, no, like I said, um, you know, follow some of the other big developers out there. Like, and that's definitely not me. Um, like, <laughs> like try and follow uh, John Brieger. Um, Brenna Noonan is another, um, kind of person who focuses specifically on game development. Um, I think you can learn a lot there and um, uh, just from other people because that's there's just no one route um, to, to like even something like board game development like can be a kajillion things. Like it really oh, can. Yeah. Um, so just kind of get a feel for what other people are doing and then just try and make it work for yourself. Like, um, I don't know. Like I, I thought I was going to maybe focus on rulebook editing, but then I was like, I mean, I like making games and if people are going to pay me to like give my thoughts on that, like, sh- sure, I'll do that too. And you know, uh, it's worked out. So, yeah. So yeah, just be, be open to doing lots of things. And, um, I think it could work out well for you if, if you're willing to put the effort in. Let's move outside of board games. Yeah. What do you like to do? I like to do a lot of things. Um, I've always been kind of a jack of all trades type of person. Um, I don't like being pinned down in interests. Uh, although that being said, I, I do, I have gotten really into games just because, you know, and it's my work too. Like, yeah, you know, it's just definitely a deep dive into board games themselves, but you know, I love video games. Um, I don't play them. Well, I do play them a lot. I have a hard time sitting down with like longer video games now, and I'm sad. I feel you. Know, you. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I would I love, love to get into Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Like I love those big, you know, like, like the thought of like diving into like Skyrim again or something like that. Like, like I miss that, that thing that I used to do. But, um, you know, now it's more, that's where I get like my competitive spirit out. So I tend oh, okay. to play a lot of like, um, I just kind of switch games. So right now it's uh, Team Fight Tactics, which is uh, League of Legends, like oh, yeah. uh, auto battler game. Um, and so, yeah, like I tend to just have like an online video game that I tend to play a lot of and then just kind of switch from game to game um, for, you know, after a few months, get tired and, and switch to something else. But yeah. Um, I do like to read. I haven't been reading as much lately, um, but I am in the middle of Dune right now. Um, uh-huh. You know, I was going to try and read it before I watched the movie, but, you know, 
it didn't work out but you know it's only half the book anyway like it's it's a part one so you know spoilers whatever you'll finish it before part two Uh, and i also think spoilers are a little overrated sometimes like clearly i don't want you know the latest episode of television spoiled to me if i can help it but you can still enjoy things like and especially when my memory is as bad as it is like (laughs) like oh yeah i've totally forgot that yeah, like we're on our th- we're on our my third rewatch of Gilmore Girls, and I'm still like, oh yeah, I totally forgot what happens in this episode. So <laughs> you know, I love having a bad memory for that reason. Like I can rewatch yeah. my favorite TV shows and completely forget really big things. Yeah, but weirdly, some small things stick, and I'll be like, oh, I know what happens here, but that doesn't even matter. Yeah, like for me, it's it's very much, especially with uh, TV specifically. It's like I remember like two minutes like like what's going to happen in the next like two minutes of the show like but i i won't remember anything about the episode yeah it's just like as i'm watching i'm like oh i know what the next happens in the next scene you know yeah it's this really weird way my brain must work i don't know but (laughs) but yeah so you know i like watching tv uh with my wife specifically um and uh i love basketball um i don't play at all anymore and that sucks um need to fix that need to fix a lot of things in my life uh (laughs) health wise um things things that weren't going so well and then when you know the pandemic hit i just kind of kind of a big paradigm shift in life and oh absolutely it's not like that should have stopped me from doing certain things but it's just the fact that life changed like i kind of you know hobbies and stuff change as well yeah it is a really interesting thing how that happened like there were things that were developing in my hobby list and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden this happened and and now i'm like oh i completely forgot about those because i wasn't able to yeah so i still follow the jazz um intensely the utah jazz on um as much as i can but so for now it's it's just watching but you know i used to, to like playing basketball um i love uh i love uh hip-hop rap um i love watching kind of freestyle raps and stuff that's Um, cool yeah i don't know like i just i love diving into things and learning new things so like i guess i waste a lot of time on youtube but (laughs) it's really just because i like like when i find out a new topic or a new new type of thing i love to watch like other people talk about it so yeah you know my wife my wife gives me a hard time for watching like two to even like three four hour youtube videos like essays on stuff and i just i just like learning about weird random stuff so yeah i think that's awesome when (laughs) it's just all information that's that's gonna add to your repertoire wow i messed that up (laughs) repertoire Yeah, yeah, we're not French. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm an American repertoire. <laughs> repertoire. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I, I just like always learning about new things and, and chasing stuff down, but that is I don't cool. know if those count really as hobbies, but oh, yeah. I, just, I just like learning new stuff. I, uh, I got to ask, do you, since you're into freestyle, do you ever freestyle on your own? No. or <laughs> No. So I would love to. Like, uh, if I could just, like, get a talent, it probably would be that. Because um, I love poetry. Um, you know, that was that was kind of the main thing I 
was good at um, in my creative writing degree. Um, uh-huh. And I do, I do have some published poetry. Again, something I just haven't touched in a while and oh, regret. That's cool. But um, so, yeah, like I would love, you know, I consider rap poetry. Um, and, you know, I know that that would probably ruffle some feathers even from people I know. But, um, you know, like obviously you can rap about mundane things and, and not treat it as an art, but there's a lot of rappers who do treat it as an art. And um, yeah, so yeah, I would love to, but uh, my, again, memory issues and just the way my brain works, I am so bad at freestyling. Like I am not, (laughs) I'm not a quick thinker. I'm a very slow, deliberate thinker, uh, which is actually why I got into writing. I think, Ah. Like I like to really think out my arguments and like lay them all out instead of um, trying to come up with stuff off the top of my head. Yeah. Funny side anecdote. uh, Mark Rosewater, the designer of Magic the Gathering, was into improv, did improv comedy. Ah. Um, And he thinks that's a really good like route into game design. So interesting so you know there's there's all types but uh i was actually gonna bring up improv because i've been doing improv classes you know maybe (laughs) i should but again that's the type of thing i'm really bad at but maybe maybe improv classes would be a good way to to approach that yeah um, well it's interesting oh go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say it's interesting the first class people like i felt so dumb especially i mainly did it because uh well Part of the reason I started the podcast was to try and rebuild some social skills after a pandemic of pretty much interacting only with my wife. Yeah. Uh, and and so now I've gotten to interact with people online, but, uh, you know, it's very casual and I, I can take little breaks and think and whatnot if I need to or ask questions and edit them out if I need. And so I was yeah. like, you know, improv is the next step to try and bring me back to my former <laughs> self. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should look into that because um, maybe it's just something I need to, uh, a muscle I need to stretch more. But um, yeah, <laughs> so no, I, I don't do freestyle rap. I would love to write <laughs> raps. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I am very white, so, you know, I want to be careful. But Yeah, but uh, you can do it if you do it right, right? <laughs> exactly. Got- and, and like... All my interests, like I do have, you know, just a very genuine like love and appreciation for hip hop culture. And yeah, and, uh, but, you know, that can still come off the wrong way if you're not careful. But absolutely. Um, but yeah, like I, I for now, I enjoy watching freestyle rappers, um, you know, shout out to Juice, shout out to Harry Mack. You know, there's there's some great freestyle rappers out there. Just check out. Nice. I was actually going to ask for for a couple. So there you go. <laughs> if you want just genius level, I mean, watch some Harry Mack. It's it's also really easy to search. So Harry Mack on YouTube, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think it maybe if you're not into into poetry or into rap, like it's it's hard to like know what exactly he's doing. But he just goes, he like gets people like to give him three random words or whatever and just like starts rapping. And like oh, whoa. multiple verses with like wordplay. Like I just I don't get how it works. Like he's he's just genius level. I don't I don't know. It's the exact opposite of how my brain works. Cause he's yeah. just constantly like he can just think up a rap as he goes and just goes line to line rhyming and it's amazing. So so yeah, check that out. 
I've noticed with some like improv show type stuff where they might do raps, uh, a lot of times they have their go-to rhyme. So they're like, you know, uh, yeah. East beast, you know, like they always yeah. will say East and beast and work that in. And <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, that's actually classic, like for freestyle rappers, that's also kind of a thing. Um, oh really? For most freestyle rappers. And that's where he's very different is like, he's just on another level where it's like, he's kind of moved away from, he still does that. Like if you listen to enough stuff, you'll be like, okay, he has some rhymes he likes to work in, but like, yeah, he's just transcended to another level where he's kind of moved past that. Um, That's cool. And and I still think it's impressive. Like if you can just wrap off a bunch of like cool rhymes, like even if it's stuff you've thought of before, I, I think it's still cool, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I can't say I expected to talk about freestyle rap uh, today, but <laughs> Same. Yeah, ch- ch- check out Harry Mack and, and uh, yeah, Juice is another great rapper um, that does a lot of freestyle stuff. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. That's some good. We've got a, uh, some good info there. Yeah. <laughs> Bran- branching out. Yeah. Let's play Ridiculous Theme. In Ridiculous Theme, we come up with a theme that we think would be ridiculous for a board game oh man yeah so just the theme or like i need to come up with other stuff for it uh usually just the it's it's whatever you want really sometimes we Mm. just do a theme uh i have one and i based it on kind of our conversation yeah well you go and hopefully the gears will start kicking in my head so i wrote down freelance so you're a freelancer, but it's almost like Task Rabbit, where like there'll be a little bounty board or you know a job board, and mm-hmm. these cards will pop up, and it might be like build a uh, a bookshelf, and then you take that and see if you can complete it, but you don't really have the skills in it yet, and depending mm-hmm. on how well you do, you do gain some of that skill. So all of a sudden now you have woodworking experience. So the next time you take a woodworking job you'll do a better job at it and then you could do like rule editing and you know the first time you might suck at it but you start building up your skills as you play and leveling up your skills so that you can take on harder jobs and do a better job at it and make more money at it or just get more successful i don't know exactly what the end goal would be but get more jobs than than other people i don't know (laughs) be, be the ultimate hustler you know just have yeah, all the side hustles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's not like even that ridiculous. I actually really like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I think that could be pretty good. Yeah, like I I was working on a game where you were like a mech pilot, but you kind of had that um I, the like picking missions and stuff and like kind of getting doing little jobs here and there. Like I just think that's a cool uh, cool start for any game because it's like you're gonna just have so much self-expression already where people are like you know like I want to do this job you know and can start to form their own little stories and narratives about it because yeah because you get that personal ownership going like right away you know where it's like I chose this job I did this job you know like I don't know just I love games that let you do that to let you put your own stamp on the game I agree um, oh man, I'm still struggling, but, uh, cause like, I just think of all the games, like I haven't made yet and a lot of them have weird themes, but 
<laughs> like that's that's like where my brain instantly goes is like well you never did anything with that <laughs> you um, can do one of those unless you don't want to put that out there and no uh, i oh no please take take my idea and actually make it <laughs> but um, <laughs> like i've worked on speaking of like i've worked on um like it would be fun to do a freestyle rap game um more like in a party vein um, and really help people like do better stuff there is um rap gods which i think yeah yeah i've got it back there it's probably hard to see but um yeah i don't know if i can see yeah so rap gods by uh omari akil um which is that's more like career you know like my rap career but i would love to do like like a game that either kind of helped people make poetry or um or freestyle rap that'd be really fun Um, yeah but you you'd have to be really clever with um board game mechanics to try and like i'd love to like when I've toyed with the idea of like a poetry game in my head, I would love to, to use mechanics to like trick people into making good poetry. Um, with like, you know, cause people maybe have a hard time seeing rhymes or, you know, alliteration or consonants, things like that. So if you can show like, if you even like had little symbols, like, you know, like, Oh, this is a star, but then like all the stars like rhyme or have like similar, you know, things like i'd love to like use mechanics to trick people into like like oh i made like a pretty good poem or i made a pretty good you know freestyle rap like yeah that'd be that'd be kind of cool um it'd just be finding the right mechanic that's like really i'd want that to be like a like a mass market style kind of very light party game mechanic so i could totally see that so maybe i'll do that the weirdest themes um the weirdest theme I've probably tried making a game for and, and kind of abandoned it was like, how, oh, what was the name of it? Cause it really, it was one of those rare games that like came from like a weird name I came up with and it was like clairvoyant. Yeah, that's what it was. It was clairvoyance and the end of the world series. <laughs> that, that has a cool ring to it. It does, right? Yeah. It has a nice it has a nice ring to it. So, but the idea was like a programming game where you're uh there's like an end of the world scenario starting to happen <laughs> like during the world series, I guess, but it's in the future, so everything's robots. Of course, of course. And so you're like programming, you're trying to like stop the end of the world with like these little robots by like doing programming style mechanics and and then the clairvoyance part was like one person can see it was, it was probably after playing Mysterium, if I'm being honest, <laughs> of course. But like, but like one person can see like what's going to happen, but no one else can. So they're like trying to like give like these, like, you know, Mysterium style clues of like, you know, this is what's going to happen. Try and stop it. And then watching everyone else hilariously fail as they like program their robots to try and stop whatever calamity and ba- based off of the the vision they saw. So, oh man, that sounds interesting. It was really interesting. I I gave it a really good go, and um, it just really wasn't coming together. But but I like I like the idea of like that game was based off of like trying to. Uh, think of games like other people would play that I knew like uh-huh. uh, in this case, like my sister, but like just trying to think of like, you know, games that maybe give one role that's quite a bit different, like, you know, programming versus like 
uh, you know, this very like Mysterium Dixit, like artistic kind of style, like just trying to like think of games that, uh, that let both of those types of players like succeed. Yeah. In practice, it's kind of a hard sell. Um, cause other people are like, well, I just want to be playing the other game. <laughs> so, you know, but maybe there's something there, but, but yeah, there's, there's a weird theme for you, you know, uh, robot baseball players trying to, um, you know, stop the, the end of the world. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great ridiculous theme. And then I've added one last question. I'm going to ask for fond board game memories. Uh, One fond memory of board games. um, Fond for me, at least. Uh, Maybe not for everyone involved, but uh, I... There is this really funny moment. One of my favorite games ever is uh, HeroScape, which... uh, was kind of a mat. I guess it was almost mass market, but it was it was like a, a pretty popular Hasbro. I think made it game. Um, maybe Wiz Kids. I can't remember. But you uh, just are kind of all these types of random fighters all on one map, which you built yourself, which I loved. You know, I'm the Lego guy. Like you know, just love love building my own map. But anyways, you kind of move these very weird you know like robots and dinosaurs and orcs and skeletons like you kind of got this weird mix of characters and they're all fighting anyways we we were playing that with a bunch of my friends at at kind of a a vacations retreat someone had brought this new aspect which was like these marvel you could play with like marvel characters like superheroes which were like I don't think they were really meant to be balanced, but in theory they were balanced with all these other, you know, dinosaurs and orcs and stuff. So anyways, we're playing and, uh, this one <laughs> where we, you, uh, kind of similar to uh, Warhammer and I'm sure there's other games. You, you have like a point value system. So that's how the game kind of balances, balances, balances itself out. Because you maybe I'll choose this giant mech, but that's most of my points, and then I have to just buy some skeletons or something to to mat to match the point value. Anyways, so this this character, this uh, my my friend had chosen the Silver Surfer, which was all of his points because the character was so good, you know. And so you know, I have, we all have these like big armies, and he is just the Silver Surfer, you know, <laughs> trying to fight everyone, which was cool. But unfortunately, uh, one of us had, uh, and I don't think it was me. Uh, maybe it was me. Maybe, maybe I'm, I don't want it to be me, but uh, <laughs> one of us had this dinosaur, this T-Rex. Uh, technically, it's an orc riding a T-Rex. But um, the T-Rex could roll a die, and if you were really lucky, you could just chomp a unit next to you in one bite. And if it's a hero character, like, it was really hard. Like, you had to roll, like, a, I think a 19 or a 20 on a 20-sided dice. So, 10% chance. But uh, one of us, like, on one of the very first turns of the game, like, just walked up with the dinosaur and ate, like, his entire army. You know, it was just the oh silver my gosh. <laughs> And he, like, it was the most, like, intense rage quit I've seen from a game. <laughs> he was just like, Wow this is the stupidest game ever. And everyone's laughing. Cause you know, it's with a bunch of guys and we're all just think it's hilarious. But, um, but yeah, that's just, 
it's like I said, maybe not a fond memory for everyone involved. I think he vowed to never play Hero Escape again. But oh my goodness! <laughs> but as far as like just a memory that like you know continues on, like we still talk about it. There's still inside jokes about it. Like, like yeah, I just I'll look back to that because it was just you know just a fun way of showing what games can you know the the kind of. Uh, experiences they can provide because yeah it's just something we still talk about it's just really funny yeah that's awesome (laughs) is that the the orc writing you said i think you sent that in for the like favorite character right oh yeah that's right yeah yeah so it's it's grimnack i want to say that's right yeah that's technically the orc i think riding the t-rex but i mean everyone just sees the t-rex i mean that's yeah that, that's the important part. It was a pretty epic figure. So, yeah, that that's a funny one. Um, I think most of my other fond memories are probably more general, but as far as, like, specific, like, moment, that's the one I always remember. That's a good one. Let's wrap up with you plugging your stuff. Oh, man, what do I even plug nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> you, you. I, I work I work for the man. What do I, yeah. No, um, <laughs> as far as what I would plug... Definitely, you know, check out um, our paperback adventures uh, Kickstarter. The project's long uh, over, but um, you can, if you go to the Kickstarter page, you can pre-order and and just kind of see what the game's about. Um, if you're really interested, you can you can help us um, play test. You can try out the tabletop simulator and see if it's interesting, and give your feedback if you want, or just check it out. Honestly, like for me, I don't have a lot to plug. I do have a website, but um, so you can check that out. But I can't take on a lot of other work at the moment. But um, but feel free to reach out and and please do you know you know with either reach out to me on Twitter or through my email that should I think be on that website. Um, like just reach out if if you have questions because I just want to help other people out if if they have questions about the industry or or want to know uh, different things. Yeah, my Twitter handle is at RobTheSky, um, R-O-B-T-H-E-S-K-Y, uh, underscore games, um, which was uh, from my previous attempts at making a video game company. But um, oh, really? I, I need to adjust the handle at some point. But, <laughs> but you know, we had, we had Rob and we had Sky working on the games, and that's, that's what we came up with. Oh, nice. For a while, it con- it kept confusing me because I'd be like, "Oh yeah, like Rob Sky," and I was like, "No, that's not his first name. It's Sky, Sky Larson." <laughs> yeah, I need to fix it. It was one of those, it was one of those uh, instant regret decisions because uh, every time I had to do like a sign off, because I I was doing all the business stuff for the company and all the reaching out. Anytime I had to sign off like Sky Larson, Rob the Sky Games, I just felt cheesy. And I was like, <laughs> never again. Like, I know my name lends itself well to, uh, you know, you want to make a company name about it. But I'm like, no, don't do it. Because then, <laughs> then you have to sign your name and it just feels so cheesy. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a cool name. Rob the Sky. I like the Twitter handle. It was cool. Yeah. It was cool. It, again, it was mostly whenever I had to like sign my name next to it, I felt a little goofy, and I did get called Rob a lot. So, oh know. yeah, I yeah, I bet. Which Rob's a great name. No, no offense to the Robs out there. But, Terrible yeah. name. Awful. <laughs> oh man, we didn't even address your fear of clowns. Oh man, I, maybe I should clear the air. Um, yeah, let's uh, do it. We can do that real quick. 
uh, that was great. And I loved uh, your, your episode with Rob. Um, Oh yeah. I guess real quick, if you haven't heard that episode, Rob Kramer made the grand carnival and he's working on an expansion and it includes clowns. And in a recent play test with, with sky, uh, it got brought up that, Sky might have a fear of clowns. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, I was definitely playing it up. And so I, I was just kind of more having fun. I, I would say I'm uncomfortable with clowns. I don't love them. <laughs> I wouldn't say I have uh, an intense fear of clowns. Um, the only true phobia I had, I, I still kind of have a little bit of it is with dogs. Um, I was attacked as a little kid. And uh, so for a long time, yeah, I was very, very afraid of dogs. I'm better now and even get along with some dogs, you know, if they'll give me a chance. But unfortunately, I think they kind of know when you're a little scared. Uh, Yeah. And so then it's kind of is like a vicious circle, you know, where they're they're kind of like, I'm scared because I know they're going to react poorly and then they react poorly because I'm scared. Anyways, um, as far as clowns, I think they're not great. I don't love them, but <laughs> no offense to any clowns out there. But uh, <laughs> to all my clown listeners, I was definitely um, just kind of having a little bit of fun with uh, with the group that night, and just you know being like not touching any clowns because I hate them. But <laughs> it's fun to play into the role, right? Yeah. So you know, if that ends up me being the scared of clowns guy, that's fine. You know, it was worth it to to have fun that night. So Good. <laughs> if that's how I'm remembered, that's okay. No, that's fun. It's it's fun for the group. Yeah, exactly. So you would be fine if everybody dressed up as clowns next play test. I mean, I would question your life decisions. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might I might feel a little uncomfortable, but uh, no, yeah, I'd be. I think I I would be okay. I would get through it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Sky, for coming on and being willing to talk about your experiences. That is so cool to hear. And I hope that it's helpful for some others kind of to, to get somewhat of an expectation of what the process is and how that all works. I know I learned a lot. You can go pre-order Paperback Adventures still. And I think think you should. The game looks amazing. If you haven't already, go do it. Protocon Online is coming up January 29th, and it is an online event. It's in the name where you get to playtest designers' upcoming works in progress, and you can help shape those games. Even more than that, it's an opportunity to get to meet other people in the community and game alongside them and and just get to know people. It's It's a lot of fun. I've done it twice I had my game in both of them, and I playtested games in both of them. I think last time I played for like 13 hours or something, 14 hours. I can't remember. I, I did. It was from like waking up until nighttime, and it was amazing. I got to play so many awesome games and meet so many cool people. If you enjoy the show, let me know. You can give it a rating, you can write a review, you can tell your friends, your family who you think might enjoy this. You can follow me on Twitter at RyleNerd or email me the board game community show at gmail.com. And that is it. Until next week, keep nerding out. Mm-hmm.